Wait, what? Hi guys, thanks for tuning in. I have made a commitment to myself that I'm not going to sit here and babble on like I tend to do. So, all you need to know is that I have a very special guest on with me in this episode, Nerida Bint, um, aka Nez. She is just an amazing fucking human being and she's actually only been in my life for like three years. Um, We met very randomly and spontaneously, which we kind of touch on in the episode. But you may have come across Nez's name before. She was the owner and founder of La Somme, the women's only gym within the Newcastle and Hunter Valley region. She owned the gym for seven years. She created it from the ground up um, and she's since sold the gym and now coaching people in emotional intelligence and relationships. And her knowledge on this topic is just incredible and She's the kind of person that before you know it, you're pouring your life story out to her. Um, So you'll even get to experience a little cheeky exercise that she sprung upon me in this, um, which really gives you an insight into what it is that she does and how powerful this work is. I will just say though that Nez opens up quite deeply and personally um, sort of within the first 10 minutes and she does touch on suicide. So for anybody listening that may be triggered by this, It's mentioned around the 11 to 11 and a half minute mark. So if you're wanting to just skip that, skip to about 14 minutes and you're good to go. That is all I'll say. Please tune in and enjoy. And I hope you get some good takeaways from this episode. All right. Well, hey guys, and welcome to this episode. I have a very, very, very special guest with me. And I am so excited that you're here with me, Nez, because you've been my number one supporter and cheerleader with this podcast ever since I had the idea. You were literally the first person that I think I said it aloud to and you let me borrow your apartment one day to come in and play around and record (laughs) my first episode and then you listened back and gave me feedback. So I'm so thrilled and so thankful to have you on here. It is narrative bent, so welcome, Nez. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. I remember that time so well and... I'm really grateful that I was someone you felt safe enough to share that dream with. And it's such an honor to watch you actually follow through with it. And you're doing so well. I'm so proud of you. And you're just made for this work. So I'm really happy to be seeing you step into this space. But credit is to you because you're the one doing the work. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Stop it. Honestly, it wouldn't be done without you and your constant, like, kick up the bum anytime I see you. So (laughs) lots of power to you too. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Amazing. So do you want to let the people know kind of what it is that you do and what you're all about? Yeah, I'd love to. So, yeah, so my name's Nerida. I'm 40 years old and I'm an online life mentor. So I work with a lot of men and women around emotional intelligence. Um, So emotional intelligence basically is how we integrate and um, how we talk to ourselves when we're feeling emotions and how we manage them and how we show up in the world. And if we have limited emotional intelligence, like if we're stunted in that, then we generally find we will feel really stuck, we will feel really confused, we'll feel really blocked, we won't feel close and connected to people. So this work impacts us in every single facet of our lives whenever there's another human being involved. So. It's our relationship with ourselves, our um, intimate partner, our parents, our children, our friends, our colleagues at work. So it's something that I'm super passionate about and I've been doing for just over 12 months now. And I work with a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs who in their business are struggling or in their relationships are struggling. So that's ten- that tends to be my main demographic and I really love it. I, every single day, like, you know, I posted something last night on my Instagram that I tagged you in. Yes. And, you know, every day just I love each day because I get to work with different people. I get to hear, you know, I, I get to the front seat in, you know, what they're struggling with in their lives. You know, like you said, like you're one of the first people I felt safe enough to tell this dream to. Like that happens to be nearly every day. <laughs> and I feel so honoured that that's the case. And I know that... I've created that, right? Like I know that I've created that safe space 
Um, and yeah, it's, it's just that, that one gift that I have to the world. So my mission is to show up as big as best as I can every single day and to help people help propel people towards their mission, their purpose in life so that they're showing up and, and, you know, having their imprint and their influence, just like you are. Oh God, you're giving me goosebumps. (laughs) It is. You do. You give that space like any time. I mean, we met so randomly like we met through a friend who told me that you'd put babysitting up on facebook and i was looking for some extra cash and i was like hi do you need some babysitting and then you're like no i've actually filled the babysitting but do you want to come around and deliver some food for my dinner party (laughs) and and every time i'd come around and like we then formed a friend it was just like instant like oh my god i feel like i can pour my life story out to you because you just always give that space Mm. Well, I'm, I've always been really curious about people mm. and about their inner world, their inner landscape, their history, what drives them, what makes them show up the way that they do. And I think because I was so disconnected from that within myself for so long, mm. and it's only really been the last three or four years that I've really come to understand who I am, why I act the way that I do, why I have the relationships that I do. You know, for such a long time, I really struggled. Like, you know, I really struggled to understand people and to understand myself and I felt very lost, you know. I don't really like using the term mental health, but I will because I know that that's what your audience will connect with. But, you know, I suppose I identified as that for such a long time, you know. I grew up thinking I had depression, that there was a chemical imbalance in my brain and that something was wrong with me. When actually, you know, I've come to learn, no, I've had a traumatic childhood and I've had many needs gone unmet for so long that I've become disconnected from myself and the work is in me reconnecting to who I am, giving myself the love, the attention and the presence that I've always craved from another, forgiving those people in my life that that I've felt hurt by and understanding that pain can also create incredible things. Like I wouldn't have the the capacity to do this work if that pain hadn't been there in my life. Mm. You know, I was deeply, you know, I struggled with suicidal thoughts very, like, very consistently throughout the first 35 years of my life, Mm, you know, and even at times went, took steps to, you know, to act that out. And now I've done, and I now understand that, it wasn't an actual desire for me to end my life. It was a desire for me to end the pain. Mm. Suicide is a way for people to escape the pain that they are feeling that they have felt overwhelmed with for so long. Mm. And um, anyone listening to this who is is experiencing that, you know, I, I know what that feels like to be in that darkness and to, and to live there for decades and not ever think that you can come out of it. But I promise you that you can. You really, really can. And you can get to a point where you like who you are, you have self-worth, you have boundaries, you meet you meet your needs, and you invite you spend time with people who want that for you too. Mm. So yeah, it's yeah. um it's I love this work and helping people to yeah, feel better. Yeah. Yeah, wow, that's massive. And How do you think, like, what was, was there a turning point for you or how did you get yourself on this track of healing per se? Yeah. So there's a beautiful saying that I love. We do the work for two reasons. We either learn enough that we want to, or we go through enough pain that we had to. Mm. And so for me, it's always been pain until recently, you know, it was always painful moments in my life that had to occur to awaken me to to, to sort of look at myself and, and ask the question, what's going on here? Why, you know, why am I in this place? You know, life isn't meant to be like this. Mm. Um, so my first sort of awakening to the, you know, to my, how unwell I was, because it was really interesting when I actually, um, I remember the day that I sort of, I had a really challenging episode and I reached out to be supported by a friend and, the next day I had to I had to tell my family and friends what you know what I had been trying to do like I had to really share with them how much I was struggling and it was such a shock to so many people because I presented on the outside mm. as such a happy positive person but deep down I was lonely 
I, you know, didn't accept myself. I had terrible self-worth and I lived with a lot of shame. Mm. So shame is a really strong emotion that lives with so many of us that if we don't understand it and, and look at it and, and know and befriend it, it can run our lives and drive us to show up in ways that we're not proud of. Um, so that was an interesting time and really heavy and probably really scary for the people around me. And how did and, you go? Um, like, it's massive to even bring that to you. Like, how did you go voicing that and saying that to the people around you? Yeah, well, I don't recall exactly. Do you know what? It's funny. I, you know, so I had an incident happen in a relationship that really triggered. So I have grown up with a core um, wound of being feeling unlovable. Mm. You know, I really experienced a lot of rejection and um, isolation from my father, and that always lived within me. And, and, and you know, I, do, I did experience a lot of emotional neglect growing up, you know, my parents always put a roof over my head. I always had clothes. I always had food. I was I was physically safe, but I was emotionally, you know, really isolated. So um, that's been my core wound growing up. And I had a, a, a relationship really trigger that where I experienced that again on a deeper level, that, that um, rejection, shame, abandonment. Mm. And so that was what set me off and um, put me into this sort of space of a week where I was really trying to, to sort of carry this out. And, you know, I remember being up at Stres Leckie one night and had made a number of attempts to, to step off and, and to take my life. And I remember at one point it was almost midnight and every time I would do it, I would, I remember the first time I sort of stepped out on the ledge. I remember feeling very afraid and, and very, um, yeah, I felt f- so much fear. And then I came back in and I gave myself another half an hour, hour, and then I, you know, pushed myself to go back out there the next time and then I made it two steps and then I came back in and I'd give myself time and then I went back out and I took three steps. And I, you know, I must have been quite close. Like now looking back and I've been to that spot since, you know, I, it, it actually really... Um, Oh, it actually does hit me how close I came, like mm. in by accident. Mm. And well, not accident, I took myself up there, but it you know, I now look at myself as I oh, was a person that was in so much pain. Mm. And it was the only way I knew how to to sort of move through it. And I honestly had the belief at the time that everyone would be better off without me. Like I, I honestly believed that. It's just the strangest thing for me to sit here right now and say that. But mm. at the time I believed it with every fibre of my being. I thought people will be sad for a little while, but then eventually it'll be better because people won't have to worry about me. People won't have to look after me. People won't have to, you know. And um, I remember the third time thinking to myself, okay, I'd been up there every night for about a week, but that's the first time I'd stepped out on the ledge. And I remember saying to myself, it's okay. I'm not ready to do it tonight. I'll go home. I'll come back tomorrow. And I'd done that for like a week, right? And I just snapped. There was something within me that sort of said, no, you are not continuing this pattern anymore. You're either stepping off that ledge tonight or you're calling and asking someone for help. Yeah. And thankfully, I did make that call. And I called one friend that I knew would be there for me. And at the time, I think he lived at Cardiff. And he was there. I called him in the middle of the night. Like, you know, and he's told me since that, you know, he didn't know what to expect. But... You know, I called him and, you know, I could barely speak and he was there within 10 minutes. And I was so unwell. I had to live with him and his family for a little while. I couldn't be on my own. And I think that it was just through the sheer, like, being with them and and I think it just sort of, you know, someone must have called my family or I don't really recall having those conversations. But I do remember sitting with friends, you know, at at a cafe and, them in disbelief and that I had kept this from them. And it, you know, that that brought a lot of guilt because I didn't really even realize that I was holding a lot of this in. Mm. So, but thankfully that was the catalyst for me getting the support that I needed. Having to be honest and real with people about where I was at 
was the thing that made me sort of go, I need to go and see someone. And then thankfully this psychologist that I'd seen put me onto Brene Brown mm. and I listened to her TED Talks in the car of the car park, the psychologist's office, and I wept and cried because she was talking about shame and it was for the first time I could understand what was happening to me. And um, then I went on to read her book, Daring Greatly, which I highly recommend. And that was the beginning of like many sort of chapters and phases of healing and integrating and, and starting to find, like, you know, reconnect to myself and re remember the love that I have for myself that I had long forgotten, you know, in childhood. Yeah. God, Nezzy, I didn't even know that story. Like, I'm sitting here tearing up listening. It's... Yeah. Sorry, I didn't know. Really, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really expect to share that. I don't even know how that came about. But no. Yeah, it is. It is a big part of my um, journey and I know it's difficult for people to hear, but it's also important oh. that I share it because there are so many people that resonate oh, and totally. I hope that the people that it resonates for understand that, th that, that, that this can be the beginning of their awakening mm. and it can be the beginning of them seeking help and it can be the beginning of change. Yes. Well, I mean, seeing you, like you said, from the outside, like and everything you've done, like you you created La Somme, the female only gym from the ground up and ran that for seven odd years or what it like you, you're that person that so many people turn to like, it's, mm -hmm. it's just crazy how people that look so strong and powerful as yourself can have these inner demons just like anybody else. So it's really, yeah. it's, it's beautiful that you can share that so vulnerably. Well, in the, you know, I've been in the spotlight, you know, for about 10 years now and I have found like, you know, so many people talk about this, right? The shame, like I was talking with Murray Smith who owns the Open Mind Space and he was an ex, like um, he's he's been in prison, he's dealt drugs and, and been arrested and he had this yoga studio and he used to walk around thinking, God, if people knew the real truth mm. about me and he held it back, held it back, held it back for so long. And then, you know, the, the yoga studio was sort of doing well, like it was successful, but when he started to share his truth and share with people, this is who I really am and this is what I've really been through, everything exploded. And it's it's been my experience too. You know, the minute I started sharing who I really was, yeah. that's the thing. We all want realness. We want authenticity. We want vulnerability. But we all want someone else to go first. Yeah. So I think that what we need to understand is as leaders, coaches, mentors, we need to be the ones to go first because we lead in every other way of our lives. We need to lead emotionally as well and create that safe space. Yes, totally. Like why why lead and not actually be leading authentically or not have your followers understand yeah. you for who you are? Like you could be doing amazing yeah. and things. And people but... feel it. Yeah. People feel it when you're not being authentic. <laughs> you can always feel a wall and a bit of a space between you. Totally. And um yeah, and no and, and also you, you don't have the biggest impact. Like your gift is where your wound is, right? So I went on to create Lasson because weirdly I was craving connection and belonging. I've gone on to do this work because I'm craving more emotional connection and healing. Mm. So it's so interesting that we go on to create the very thing that we needed, that we lacked as children. Yes. Um so yeah, like when you as a leader can understand what your wound is that can become your gift and your biggest contribution to this planet wow that's yeah that's awesome i love that mm. so speaking of lasom i mean that's a heavy subject and i'm so i, I hope that that actually touches no. people out there because it yeah, yeah one story can change make such a difference so thank you for sharing that okay. um but yeah i'd love for you to let people know how you got into lasom and what that journey was all about yeah yes yeah, so that was an interesting journey too um, so I when so I'm 40 years old, 15 years ago, I had a partner and I went overseas and had a really good time and put on a lot of weight, <laughs> came home and we bought a house across the road from a CrossFit gym. And at that time, this was a long time ago, right? Like 12 years ago, CrossFit was not well known like it is today. And, um, you know, I remember waking up one morning and I didn't even know the gym was there. And all of a sudden I would hear... I was seeing women lifting weights and climbing ropes and running and skipping. And I just thought this looked incredible, you know, and funnily, the irony is so many people experience 
fear and nervousness and a sense of apprehension going into a gym. Mm -hmm. I did not. I had the complete opposite. I was so naive. I had never been a part of a gym before, but I'd played a lot of sport. I'd always been really fit, but just living in London and living a life of traveling and partying, I had lost that. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of looking for something to sort of find myself again and, and start to get healthy and strong. And um, so one day I just decided to take myself over there and sign up. Like I just thought it would be that simple. And I'll never forget, it was a defining moment for me. You know, I arrived and I walked in and I was sort of like trying to find, you know, someone of authority like to talk to. Mm. And I remember the place just was really loud and then it's slowly getting quieter and quieter as people were sort of looking at me thinking, what's this girl doing here? And then the coach finally walked up to me after what felt like forever. Mm. And I remember noticing he was looking me up and down and sort of leaning back, like a little bit skeptical of me. And, you know, I said to him, like, my name's Nerida, just bought a house across the road. Like, this looks amazing. Like, what is this CrossFit? Like, I really want to join. I'm, you know, how do I go about it? Like, basically take my money. Mm. That was literally what I was doing. <laughs> I, he could have said it was $300 a week. I would have paid it. Yep. And he looked me up and down and he said, darling, this is not for you. And yeah, I experienced like huge amount of shame. Oh. I was mortified. I was humiliated. I felt like I was about to burst into tears. Mm. I was in shock. Yeah. So I turned around and walked out and I wished, you know, so many people think that like, you know, I went on to like create my own and like, you know, Fuck you sort of thing, but no, it wasn't like that at all. I went back home and for six months I would watch out of my window and watch these women and men like training and just so like, oh, that looks like so much fun. I would watch them leave and be laughing and friends and like just happy and it just killed me that I couldn't be a part of that. And then weirdly I went to a barbecue with a friend and um, he'd lost a lot of weight. He looked really good, he, but not only the weight, he just was like absolutely glowing and I said what have you been doing and he said I've been doing CrossFit and I was like oh damn it like it's I can't do that I'm too overweight he said absolutely not come with me to my gym and so I did and I was so nervous like I was terrified the same thing would happen but funnily the opposite happened I was introduced by the owner I was welcomed at the front door Nerida we're so excited to meet you come on in we've heard all about you this is the workout today. Here's so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, you know, meet these guys. And the first workout was something crazy, like five rounds of 400-meter run, um, <laughs> 20 box jumps, 20 pull-ups, and 20 burpees. It was mental. Yeah. Halfway around the first, this gym happened to be sat on a um, field. And I remember being halfway around the oval, and I was last by mile, and everyone <laughs> was in and starting their, their box jumps. But... Luckily for me, I've, I've grown up with a sporting background, mm. so I didn't judge myself. I knew I was 20 kilos overweight. I was like, this is going to hurt. I have to suck this up. You've just got to keep showing up. Eventually, you'll get there. Yeah. But I'll never forget the last set of – everyone was finished, and I went to start my last round of burpees, mm. and out of nowhere, everyone in the class stops, start drops down on the floor, and they're like, 20, <laughs> 19. <laughs> 18, 17, everyone is doing burpees with me. So they're doing extra burpees. And I'm like, what is this? And then we finish and everyone comes up and gives me the biggest high five. We're so proud of you. Well done. One woman hugged me. And of course I was hooked. The owner said to me, Nerida, what what are you trying to achieve? What do you want to do? And I said, I really want to lose 20 kilos. And he said, all right, come here five days a week. Find a nutritionist and sign, like sort your nutrition out and you can do it. And weirdly, Michelle Bridges was running a 12-week body transformation. She, you only At that time, you had to join it at certain times throughout the year. That was starting the following week or two. And so I did both. I did that. And literally to the day, 12 weeks later, I'd lost 20 kilos. Like wow. it just fell off me. Wow. But more than that... I felt so good about who I was. Like I learned how to lift weight. I learned how to do gymnastics. I was competitive. I loved coming to the gym and, you know, being with people every day. Like I literally looked forward to it so much. So 
that gave me the confidence to leave a relationship that I was not happy in. Mm. You know, I lost weight and I sort of found my independence and my yep. self-worth. And then about 12 months after that, I left the job that I wasn't happy in. Mm. And um, finally, my my boss at the time said, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, why don't you go and be a PT? And I was like, what? Who would, you know, who would train with me? And he'd say to me, Nerida, you light up when you talk about burpees. Like, you should be a PT. And so weirdly, I happened to start running a boot camp with a, late, a girl that's now one of my dearest friends. She owned a women's only supplement store. Mm. And then that started out, like, I remember the day going in there. I actually went into the shop thinking, maybe I'll get a job serving smoothies here and selling sups. And she said, no, I don't have any work. We got chatting. And I was telling her all about CrossFit and how much I loved it. She said, why don't you start a boot camp with me, with the shop, and we'll promote it. We'll use it to promote, you know, sales. And I was like, well, I'm not a PT. I don't have any gear, and I don't know anyone that do it. And bless her, she said to me, well, I'm a PT. I can help you run it. She said, I've got some slam balls and some skipping ropes, and I've got a list of about 10 girls who might come. So that night I went home and I messaged all of those girls, and I said, Nobby's Beach, $10 a session, Monday, 6 a.m., and before you knew it, eight of them turned up and it just grew from, it just went from a boot camp to five days a week to we want a space to mm. we want an open a women's only gym to small space at Tyres Hill to bigger space at Carrington to multiple spaces and it just took off. And, you know, looking back, so many people when they hear my first experience at CrossFit, mm. they are like, oh, oh, wow, that was so bad that that happened to you. But do you know what's so interesting? What? There's no way I would have been able to run the business that I had for so long had I not had that experience. Mm. Had I not been shown what it felt like to walk into a gym, and I mean, that's probably an extreme example, but <laughs> I'm sure that a lot of people feel like that when they go to a gym mm. and they are sort of ignored or they're just not really felt made to feel welcome and included. Yep. And I would not have been able to create what I created at La Somme had I not had that. Mm -hmm. I had the two opposite ends of the spectrum and I'm forever grateful to, to the owner who, you know, did show me kindness and compassion and love because from that mm -hmm. I became an athlete mm -hmm. and I became, you know, I developed the self-worth to leave a relationship I was miserable in and to go out and pursue my dreams, you know. And anything's possible when you are supported without judgment and that's, you know, where I still lead myself right now. But, um, yeah, like had I not had those two polar experiences, I wouldn't have known how to create that at La Somme. So at La Somme, you know, people would laugh at me because the girls that knew me well and, like, trained there for a long time, I was constantly, like, saying, we need to make sure people feel welcomed. We need to make yeah. sure we're including people. We need to make sure we're welcoming, you know. Mm. And I'd be like, are you being nice to, like, please make sure you're being nice to everyone here. And they'd be like, yes, Nez, we get it. Like, we're being nice. Like, but it was one thing that I think we did really well. Like, it's mm. one thing I keep hearing, you know, ever since that we really created a space that made women of any age, shape or size or ability to feel welcomed like they belonged. Mm. And do you know what? Now I see pockets of little friendships of girls that started at La Somme that are still really close today. Yeah. And that just, oh, oh, that's why I always did it. I didn't care about getting people fit, really. Yeah. I cared about that connection and community. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. You would have, it would have been, I mean, I never got to experience. You did, you did try to get me in a couple of times. I did make it to one I little. Tried. I tried. I made it to two <laughs> little boot campy things at Nobby's and Merriweather. But, That's right, yes. Um, but it would have been such a beautiful space. And I, either you or Lou, the friend that connected us, did say that, you know, you'd always be giving high fives or you'd always say hello or you'd get matched up with someone yeah. and welcome them in like a buddy. Like it sounded really yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It's one thing I'm really proud of. You know, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of, you know. I was, for the first time, learning how to be an entrepreneur. I was learning how to manage people. Mm. I was trying to run a business when I had no experience. Like, there were many mistakes made, but there was also, you know, yeah, there were so many great memories and so many things that I did that, uh, you know, if I died tomorrow, I, I, I would be very happy and proud of what I created and what I put out into the world. It was like my tiny little contribution to this one city. And um, yeah, it's yeah. it was such an amazing journey. And one that was filled with so many ups and downs, mm. so many challenges. You know, we ran 
we we had the gyms through COVID. Mm. Um, it was such a testing. It was such a test of like, yeah, like just growing and growing and evolving constantly. And that's what business does, right? Um, and I'm so grateful that it led me to some of the mentors. You know, had I not reached out to the mentors that I did to help me through those last few years, mm. I don't think I would have coped as well. Yeah. Um, and that's been something that's been really good too, like understanding how much support a, a, per, a coach or a mentor can help mm. you in that space. And that's why I love what I do now. Yeah, amazing. And so do you think through so obviously you've come from La Somme and into your own style of coaching did that just sort of naturally yep. evolve from the gym and talking to people and having these relationships well no not really not naturally so back in 2020 when um it was a really weird coincidence of timing but um the beginning of 2020, I, I was in a relationship at the time and he was a part of the business too. He'd sort of moved into the business and um, we, um, we we broke up and it was sort of a real shock to me because um, I hadn't really felt like, like, you know, we were very emotionally distant, which I didn't really realise until now, like later on, but <clears throat> we talked about getting married and having kids um, but now looking back, I can see that there were issues that I just was probably overseeing because mm. I didn't want to really address it. Mm. So we broke up and I had to move out of our home and then COVID closed my two gyms down. So all of a sudden, March 2020, I was single, living in an Airbnb. My accountant was telling me she thinks I'm going to go bankrupt. And I had 12 or 13 staff that I had to provide for that I didn't know how I was going to do that and didn't know when my gym was going to reopen. Like, had no idea. This was before the government came in with any sort of support or anything. Mm -hmm. That was the catalyst for the next sort of what I call a divine storm. It's where <laughs> everything sort of happens at once to wake you up and to put you into deeper healing. So what was really interesting was I was living by myself in lockdown, so I had all this time on my hands. So I started reading books. I started listening to podcasts. I started journaling and, and like processing my emotions and trying to understand what was going on for me, mm. reparenting myself, like all mm. these things, right? Um, and I just sort of had the time and space to do it because we couldn't do anything. So it was sort of a gift. Mm. Um, then we reopened the gyms and it was still really challenging because people didn't just naturally want to come straight back to the gym. People were still very afraid. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, my love for the gyms really waned over that period because it was, you know, it, it was such a divisive time for people. And, you know, I was really struggling and I was really in my own world of like, you know, trying to keep the business open, trying to help people, you know, but I just getting so much pushback, you know, like nothing I ever did felt right, like no decision I ever made, you know, and then, you know, the mandates came through and, you know, it was just a really challenging time. I didn't really feel like I knew how to move through it. Mm. And I just noticed myself becoming more and more withdrawn and also more and more um, anxious and like fearful about, you know, any lockdown or restriction because every single one of those things had a huge impact on the business. And so it was sort of that last year, I started thinking about the future without Lausanne and I started to contemplate what that might look like. Mm. And I was obviously so interested in this sort of work. So I started pursuing it. I started doing my level one and I started really thinking about it. And then I made the decision to sell the business and find someone to buy it and exit out of it. So it was sort of, had I not gone through all of that pain, I don't know how to, if I would be here today, mm. but I can now see that it was, it was a gift because yeah, like I love this work. Like mm. this feels so good. And now when I look back, the last few years at Lausanne, before even COVID, I was feeling a little bit like lost and I was more focusing on greed and growth. And, you know, it was my, my sort of, um, you know, desires were in the wrong place. So, yeah, I now can see that it was a good thing. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just didn't see it at the time. So, it, it sort of happened and then as I started sharing things on social media and talking to people, I just, oh my God, it just blew up and then I just, it, I see it everywhere. People yeah. everywhere struggle. Mm. Yeah, wow. Amazing. Yeah. 
So yeah, so with your own darkness and through COVID and those tough times, you've emerged into this new sort of role and you did say that you work mostly with emotional intelligence. Um, would you say that you're also sort of like a relationship coach? Yeah, definitely. So people really struggle with this. They're, they say to me, are you a relationship coach or are you a business coach? Because <laughs> my clients, I, I have clients in both. I have clients that I work with just parenting, mm. you know, and the really struggle because they need to compartmentalize. And really what I try and tell people is whether you feel a block in your life, I can help you move through that block because it always comes down to your underlying emotional world, your your emotional home. So when we start to heal that, that part of your area will feel much easier. Now, I'll give you an example. Like, have you got a friend? Like, we all have people in our lives where they struggle with different areas of their life than we do, you know? Mm. Have you got a friend who really kills it at business and and work, but they struggle in their intimate relationships? Mm. Yeah. Uh, do you know of anyone like that? Yeah, I do actually. Do you know of anyone who's the opposite, who like has a great relationship, but just can't seem to like get the job or the career or the, the business off the ground and really all they talk they love to do and get going, but they just struggle to really put themselves out there? Oh. Uh, I probably do that. One. Yeah, I think I do. Yeah, someone's sort of come to Does mind. Does that sound like your experience at all? That's what I was, I was like, hmm, not my <laughs> friends, but maybe me. <laughs> I think that's probably you. Yes, it? yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, or we might have it in our health and well-being. Like we might, our relationship might be really good, work might be really good, but we struggle to show up in our health and wellness. You know, we're not being consistent in our movement and we feel really flat and low. Mm -hmm. So when we, it's, you know, when we actually understand the emotions underneath it and we start to move through and, and work that, then we start to be able to understand, oh, so I'll, I'll explain it to you very simply, right? Mm -hmm. We have two parts of our mind. Uh, we have two sort of bits within us. We have a conscious mind and we have a subconscious mind. Have you heard of those terms before? Yes. Yeah, so our subconscious mind runs 90% of how we show up in the world. Our conscious mind is only 10%. Mm. And our conscious, so say for instance, right, I see this a lot. I see, I've got clients that have suffered from sexual abuse and they are quite overweight. Mm. Now, they may consciously want to lose weight because they want to feel better in their clothes mm. and they want to feel fitter and strong. But subconsciously, you think about what that might have been like as a little girl suffering from sexual abuse mm. and receiving attention that you did not want to receive and wanting to push it away but didn't know how. Yeah. What then drives your emotional eating as an adult? You're eating because you're actually trying to sabotage. You're wanting to make yourself feel distinct so that you're repelling anyone that comes near you. Mm. Does yeah, that make wow. sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, in workplace, you know, someone might want the promotion. Someone might really want that next level promotion, but also their subconscious mind fears, rejection, judgment, and not being approved of. So they won't put themselves out there and go for the business or go for the promotion because deep down their desire to stay accepted and to be approved of and to stay small doesn't risk those uncomfortable feelings being seen. Like mm. they don't have to put themselves out there because that's what they fear. Mm. Make sense? Yep. So our subconscious mind runs so much of how we show up in the world and until we understand like i literally like before my last awakening i had i've i've always been into self-development always i've been to tony robbins i've read books i've listened to podcasts i've always been that person i've been on retreats yeah. i've loved it i've been a self-development nut <laughs> but that's all the inspiring uplifting positive stuff right mm. i've done that for 15 years the shadow stuff, the subconscious, the shame and the darkness, I've only been working in that space for the last three or four years. 
And that I've grown more in the last three or four years since looking at that than I have in 15 years of looking at this other stuff. Yeah, wow. And it's so easy, right? Because, you know, we live in a society where everyone's like constantly improving and do your best and show up and succeed. And, you know, that's all well and good. But I'm more interested in how do you talk to yourself when you don't achieve the thing that you want? What emotions does that bring up and where do you go from there? How do you talk to yourself? How do you treat yourself? Mm. So I'm more interested in that conversation these days. So whether you call it your shadow, your darkness, your subconscious, your protector part, your inner child, like in my opinion, they're all very much the same thing. Mm. They're different words, different explanations of the same thing. It's that inner pull Mm. to sort of protect and stay safe because human beings always want two things connection and safety but if connection if safety is threatened when we we will connection always overrides so let's go back to that example of the person wanting the promotion you know he might uh, you know guy might be like i want this promotion it's going to be an extra 50 grand a year i'm going to be able to buy that family home for my family that i've always wanted you know i want to feel more safe and secure mm-hmm. but if putting himself out there risks connection with his co-workers because he thinks maybe they'll judge him maybe they'll criticize him maybe they'll laugh at him for going for that and he's not worthy of it mm. he will notice himself pulling back staying small and staying safe in order to stay connected yeah wow so when we understand where are we staying small in parts of our lives in order to play safe and to stay connected then we can challenge that and we can ask ourselves am i really afraid of people criticizing me am i really so worried about what other people think mm. what do i really think people like you know i'd see this all the time people would say to me when i had lasom i really want to come to the gym but i don't want to feel judged i don't want to feel you know like judged for not being fit yeah. and i'd say to them well how do you feel when and you're walking along, when you're driving along and you see someone jogging down the street and this chick might be jogging slow and might be overweight, what do you think to yourself? And they're like, oh, I think she's amazing. And I just think, go you. Yeah. And I always challenge them, well, don't you think other people think that of you? Mm. And so we're so much meaner to ourselves than we are to other people. Yeah. And that is really the crux of what I'm trying to work through. Like, I'm not interested in helping people, like I'm interested in helping people achieve their goals and to to show up and thrive and to feel good. But also I want them to like themselves too. Mm-hmm. I want them that to come from a place of like integrity, like likability, you know, self-trust, self-autonomy, mm-hmm. you know, integration, like liking the person that you are, not doing it from a place of lack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. It's... That question, like I've been asked before, you know, what would you say to your friend in this situation? It's like, oh my God, yeah. I would, I'd be there for her. I'd do this. I'd do, and it's like, well, what are you doing with yourself? And like, you would often ask me, what, what, what am I doing with this podcast? Like I had this, I mean, I was in your apartment two, three years ago doing this and I was like, I'm so scared. I can't do it. Oh my God, people are going to think this, that. And you'd just be like, what, like, what would you say to this person? Or why, why is this holding you? Like, what are you so afraid of? Like, get yourself out there. And so what were you, like, what were you craving in that moment? Safety, connection. Mm. You had this this perception that if I put myself out there, that's going to bring me criticism, judgment, and I would rather stay small and stay safe and connected than put myself out there and risk that. Mm. So let's do, do you mind me if I do a little exercise with you? Sure, let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. So... Can you close your eyes for me for a minute? Close your eyes and just take a deep breath. Really feel into the body and just sort of ground yourself and trust that you're going to be supported and that it's a safe space. I'd like to ask you, if you can journey back into your childhood or at a time in your life I want you to try and think about the most small and vulnerable that you've ever felt. When was a time that you felt judged, criticized, shamed or rejected? Can you think of a time for me? 
Mm. So How old? There's this How old were you? About seven. And seven. there's this like prominent time that I remember because it's come up for me in my own like self-pleasure practices. Um, I was in year one at school and I got asked to spell whale in front of everyone. Yeah. And I yeah. did it with full confidence and I said, W-A-L-E. And then the teacher said, no. And I was like, oh, shock horror. And then one of my, who's still one of my friends now, he jumped in and he was like, W-H-A-L-E. And the way that like, I just, I felt like everybody looked at me like, oh my God, how have you stuffed that up? And the way the teacher said it to me, it was like, no, like you idiot. And I just felt so silly and just stupid. And like, I, I felt shame for myself for, putting myself out there and then having it, you know, totally just thrown back down. And yeah, it's, that's come up. Like I've, I've not thought about that for years and that came mm -hmm. up in my own sort of practice. And instantly it's the first thing that comes up for me now when you ask me to go back and feel that, that emotion. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. What I want you to do is keep your eyes closed and I really want you to stay in this moment. Okay. So really put yourself back in that room. And I want you to imagine yourself as the adult, adult Kels that you are right now. I want you to imagine yourself floating above that school room, that, that, that room, classroom, and you're looking down and little five or six year old Kels is in the room, sorry, seven, is in the room sitting down. You can watch her above, okay? Can you see her? Mm -hmm. Now, She's just blurted out with full confidence what she thinks the spelling is. Such a brave, courageous, free-spirited, confident and trusting little human being that she is. And then in a moment, she's flipped. And I want you to, I want to ask you, what is it then that she's experiencing, noticing the reaction towards her? What are the emotions that she's now, what are the emotions she's now feeling within herself. You said one, which was shame, which was so good. Mm. What else? Sadness and- Yeah, sadness. Yeah, just- um, What else? Like, I don't know what the word is, like feeling silly or stupid or like- What about embarrassed? Embarrassed, totally embarrassed, yes. Embarrassed, mm -hmm. sad, mm -hmm. ashamed. Mm -hmm. What about even lonely? Yeah. Was there a loneliness there, feeling really alone in that room? Mm, because I feel like then all attention was put onto the one who spelt it right and I was left there sitting in my own mm. shame, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what about a sense of rejection? Mm, yep, totally. Yeah. So doesn't it make sense now that as an adult, when you think about that little girl feeling all those feelings. And I'm guessing what happened when you went home that day? Did you tell your parents about what happened? Oh, I, I can't remember. I don't I know. I, I probably didn't because I was so embarrassed. I feel like I wouldn't have shared mm -hmm. that. So not only do we have you as a seven-year-old feeling those feelings, but now we have you on your own being isolated with them and not feeling safe to go to an adult and process it work through it and make sense of it so that you can then come out and heal on the other side and move through that emotion. It becomes stored and locked. And then you as an adult will never let yourself go do anything that's going to risk feeling like that again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah. Mm. And it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that you do that. Mm. You can open your eyes now. Thank you so much for that, your honesty. No, thank you. It's and those, sorry? No, I was just going to say it's those same, exact same, like I was fearing embarrassment. I was fearing shame. I was fearing people thinking I was stupid and not yeah. smart enough. Like that's a big thing. Like it's a fear of failure. Like it, and which is what I felt. It's not a fear. It's not a fear of failure. It's a fear of judgment, criticism. It's all those fears that you experienced in that classroom. Mm, true. It's yeah. those emotions because failure is like an analysis. It's not really a feeling. Mm. You're feeling, you're fearing, feeling those emotions. Yes. That yeah. you felt in that classroom that had such a hold over you that you have not processed yet. Mm. 
yeah, that makes sense. Now, let's do, a, let's, do, let's do a reparenting exercise. Let's just imagine that you've left school that day and you've gone home and who would be the parent that would be home that you would meet? Um, probably mum. Okay. Now, tell me, when you go home and you see mum as a seven-year-old and you've had this horrible day at school and you're telling mum about it, what is it that you would have really wanted from her in that moment? Probably just a hug and that it, it's okay. Like, you're, you're okay. It doesn't matter. You, everyone makes mistakes. You're still a clever little girl. Yeah. Yeah. Validation, mm-hmm. encouragement, yep. support, yep. love, yep. unconditional love. <laughs> yep. She's not, you know, oh, well, why did you spell it wrong? Or, oh, well, don't put your hand up and do that ever again. Like, why are you doing that? Mm. Um, it's not a, oh, don't worry. It's not a big deal. It's just a spell. It's just a classroom. They're just kids. Yeah. So there are four ways that we respond to people's emotions that when we don't know how to do this work of emotional intelligence the first one is project Mm. so that's her saying like if she had a bit of a wound around feeling ashamed she might project that onto you too like well why are you even putting your hand up in a class like that like how rude of you to think that you would be that smart to put your hand up like that like don't do that anymore Kels Mm. that's projecting dismissing is we dismiss, so dismiss is like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, it's just kids, like, get over it. Yeah. Or maybe deflect. So deflect is when we use humour to distract and to change the topic. You know, like maybe, you know, she might have said to you, well, you know, if old mate said the, the proper word, did you give him a bit of a, you know, rousing on or what happened? Like, or she yeah. might have cracked a joke or, you know, but that's also change, like not being with the emotions with you. Mm-hmm. And then there's minimize. Well, I've just had this bad day. Your day, you went to school. Like at least you didn't have to be home looking after three other kids. Like I'm exhausted. Mm. That's minimizing. Yeah. So we do these things every single day. And that's why we don't know how to have compassion for ourselves in that moment. Mm. So what I encourage you to do is to do a journaling exercise on when you came home, what is it that you would want have wanted her to say? How would you have wanted her to feel? How would you have wanted her to show up for you? Like, you know, is it? Would you have loved it if she got down on your level and she was looking at you and nodding her head and listening? Wow, that sounds like a really hard day. What would it be like if she was emotionally attuning to you? Like, Kels, I can imagine you felt really embarrassed and really like like alone there, like. I'm so sorry that happened. Yeah. I think like that sounds like a really hard day. I get it. I know what that feels like. I've had things like that happen to me before. That makes sense that you'd be feeling really flat. Mm. I just want you to know, like, I think you're amazing and we all make mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes. It doesn't mean anything about how smart you are. Mm. I love listening to you whenever you put your hand up and want to tell me anything. So please... Don't ever stop doing that because you are a bright, amazing little girl. And I love you. Oh Come my here, God. let's give let me give you a hug. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if we all parented like that. Yeah. Imagine what the future generations would look like if we were showing up for for ourselves. But the key now the work is in, Kels, you being that person for yourself. Yes. You know, like, hey, it makes sense that I get so nervous and I feel so scared when I put my podcast out there. But I also really like, like, what I talk about and I think I've got something to offer. And, you know, some, you know, it's it's okay if I make mistakes and it's okay if some podcast episodes do better than others. And I'm learning and I'm just going to get better at this as I go and I'm going to be my own biggest supporter as I navigate this journey. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Cultivating our own inner kindness, our own inner compassion. Yes. Our own inner voice is so important. Yeah. Oh my God. It's massive. That is massive. Like the fact that you said, imagine if we parented this way, but imagine if, yeah, we start with ourselves and everybody, you speak to yourself in that way and you show that self-compassion and we don't, you know, shut ourselves down, which we so easily, we criticize ourselves so easily. Like, yeah. 
We do, and that's because most of it, most of us were left alone with our pain. So most of us didn't have parents who knew how to attune and empathize and help us regulate those painful moments and to move through them and process them. And it didn't mean that they didn't love us. Yeah. So many people get so defensive and they're like, no, 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 I had a really good childhood. Yes. No, this is actually a skill that we're only really starting to deeply understand really recently with the, the age of the internet and, you know, more of this information becoming available. It's incredible. But, you know, we we actually didn't have that. It's not about the, you know, the, the interesting thing is people, you know, it's not about the adversity or the tragedy or the thing. It's actually about being left alone with it. Mm. So that's what's painful is being left alone with your big emotions. And so as a child, one of our core needs is to have, we know we when we're born, we know that we need our parents to survive. We just know that. Mm. So we will inherently constantly want to connect with them. And what we want is we want them to feel attuned and to feel like they love and connect and want to be there for us and take care of us. When we have that, we grow up feeling secure, feeling, you know, mostly okay about who we are. And we feel confident to go out and navigate the world and and try scary things and let people in on our lives and have relationships. But when we don't have that, then we really struggle and it, and it, and it, you know, we struggle because we think that we're broken. We have a low sense of self-worth and we don't know how to show up and we don't know how to take care of ourselves. And that then keeps people away from us as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just recognising that, you know, and two things can be true at the same time, right? We can have had parents that loved us with everything that they had and did the best that they could. And maybe some of our needs went unmet. Mm. You know, maybe there's an emotional attunement there that went unmet for you, you know? The fact that you didn't feel like, the fact that you've even said, I probably didn't tell anyone about it, I guarantee there would have been many other times at home where you would have learned, oh, I can't bring this to mum or dad. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's not really the school thing that's the issue. It's actually the deeper underlying issue is you knew on some level you could not rely on and depend on your parents for emotional support. Mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And that is okay. Mm. It's not a criticism of them because guess what? They were probably parented that way too. Yeah. But when we understand that, that is the first step to being able to give that to ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Makes sense? Makes total sense. It's, yeah, it's mind-blowing work. Like even just... Because if you had had that at home, Mm. you would have left school and you would have been like, the weirdest thing happened today. Mum, the teacher asked a question and I put my hand up to answer it (laughs) and I got it wrong. And then everyone, you know, she just really spoke to me in a really horrible way. And then I felt really embarrassed. And she would have been like, oh, my, she would, you know, you would have known you could have downloaded that on her. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's so interesting. Oh, my God. It's just powerful, powerful stuff when you start to really yeah. delve in. Amazing. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm pretty wary of time, so I will wrap it up with three questions that I ask everybody because I feel like we could sit here oh, and talk for, it. like, three hours about this stuff. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, yeah. But my first question is, what is your life motto? Ooh, what is your life motto? Um, I have to say over the last couple of years, you know, I've been doing so much work on opening my heart and, you know, really seeing people, like really seeing myself and seeing others um, for the pain that they're really in. Mm. Um, Doing the work to constantly open and and love in spite of all of my judgments and my perceptions and my, you know, this should, shouldn't be this way. And, you know, it's a constant coming back and, and learning to, to live with an open heart has to be what I would like to say, I would like to be remembered for. Mm. I don't always live it. You know, I'm a human being Mm. and, you know, I have moments where I'm triggered and I lose my cool, Mm -hmm. but I'm so much better now at trying to repair that or go back and reflect on it 
and show myself compassion. So really showing myself compassion as well as others and noticing that it's important to do that when it feels really hard mm. because that's the point that I need it the most. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. We usually struggle to feel compassion for others because it reminds us of a place in our own life where we did not receive compassion. And so that's where it's it's so important to then give ourselves compassion. I'll tell you a story. When I was when I have a niece and a nephew who I just adore, I spend a lot of time with them and I love them to bits. Um, and they started school a couple of years ago. And when they started school, it brought up a lot of a lot of stuff for me. I noticed myself looking at them and, and feeling so angry and resentful and judgmental of the fact that, you know, I thought you lucky, like you lucky kids, you've got a beautiful school uniform on and you've got a, a full packed lunch and you get dropped off at school. And then you, you've got friends there that are just so excited to see you. Like it brought up a lot of grief mm. and a lot of anger because, and, and I didn't know why it came out of nowhere. Right. Mm. Didn't expect it. And then I realized that, oh, this is actually reminding me of the grief and the loneliness and the sense of like feeling less than mm. when I started school and I started to realize, you know, like that I was let, like, you know, a little bit poorer than other families. I didn't have a nice uniform. I didn't really have friends at school because my parents were deaf. And, um, you know, I really struggled at school. So I brought all of that back. And so having compassion for them and myself in that moment, like, was so important. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. So you'd say, so your life motto would be to live with an open heart or to live with compassion. Yeah, live with an open heart and compassion always. Yeah, love that. That's beautiful. My second question is, what is the best or funniest memory you have of us, like you and I? Ooh. <laughs> Oh man, that's a good one. Um, it's hard to think of on the spot. Yeah, a good heads up would have been nice. <laughs> well, you know, my memory's terrible anyway. But... I was contemplating whether to give this to you beforehand or not. Sage no, was like, "No, do it at the moment." I love it that you do. You're dropping this on me. <laughs> do you know what? I have to say that you know one of my favorite moments of us is like just being in my apartment, drinking wine, and laughing and talking about our relationships and how yeah. we were both lost and struggling and like hopeless yeah. and just laughing about life and about how terrible what life we were. Yes. Oh my God. I feel the same. I have, except I'm thinking AM. I remember one time when I came over in the morning, you were like, I'm so hungover. Can you bring me a bacon and egg roll? Uh, yeah. <laughs> bacon egg roll and you were sitting there I've never seen someone eat a bacon egg roll so quickly but then we just (laughs) sit on the lounge and just chat and chat and chat you'd pour out your life story I'd pour out my life story yes yeah yes I remember that well that was hilarious (laughs) very appreciative of you saving me that day (laughs) coffee and a &E. &E, yeah always helps yeah and my final question is what in this world makes you go wait what Oh, in a good way or a negative or a whatever way, whatever way you want, whatever feels right. Yeah. Look, to be honest, this, the fact that this work isn't more understood, mm. you know, when I find, when I see how the impact that this work has on people's lives and the amount of success that they achieve and how connected they feel, it blows my mind that this isn't like, it blows my mind that emotional intelligence isn't something that we integrate into school years like i i really do i feel like we our system is so you know messed up and i think lots is happening lots is changing to you know their emotional intelligence schools being created and there's so much research to show people experience more success more fulfillment and more connectedness when they have high emotional intelligence over um informational intelligence mm. what's the other one yeah ai emotional <laughs> ei or yeah you Educational, know the intelligence yeah like, yeah yeah the intellectual intelligence uh, sorry so yeah yeah so i do wish that this was more you know widely you know sort of accepted and and sort of you know like one you know i wish that there were more people that understood how impactful this work is on children yeah. parents relationships workplaces 
all of it. If we did this work, deep work for the next 10, 20 years, like I'm already seeing it. We are the healing generation. Like we literally are. Our, a lot of our parents have sort of missed it because they're that little bit older. We yeah. are the healing generation. But um, yeah, like in another generation, another one after that, like we will, you'll see more and more of this, which is so exciting. But yeah, mm. wait, what? I would have to say, can't believe that this isn't something we we start exploring in our childhood oh yeah i love that it would make yeah imagine the world if this was implemented into schools it'd just be yeah 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 Yeah. it'd be amazing it'd be amazing world to live in um but unfortunately that's not the government's you know desire they don't want us to wake up to that they want us (laughs) to stay slaves so we won't even go there but (coughs) (laughs) yeah like um but there are schools being created and there are people doing it Mm. you've just got to start opening up and being you know being open to it so yeah it is coming yes i love that well you're doing it and you're sharing it and it's so beautiful to see so if people want to connect with you how could they do that yeah thank you so much um the best place to reach out to me is on instagram i'm nerida bint n-e-r-i-d-a-b-i-n-t please if you've enjoyed this send me a message and let me know what your biggest takeaway was i'm always you know i'm just really feeling out this work and how i present it so Mm. i just love to hear what do people take away from this Mm. um and of course if you're interested in working with me i run a six-month program so get in touch and let's have a call i have a calendly um i offer a free discovery call so book in via the link in my bio and let's chat because yeah i'd love to to help anyone i can on their journey Oh, amazing. And I can speak firsthand. Not that I've even had a proper professional session with you, but I've had plenty of casual (laughs) sessions with you over dinner or wine or whatever. And like I've said, you've been such a massive part in me getting this out there and keeping me accountable and keeping me motivated. So thank you so much. Like you're amazing. Well, I, do you know what the funny thing is, Kels? I honor you and, and acknowledge you because you know, I show up this way with everybody. I'm always encouraging people to see themselves the way I see them with that highest potential. Mm. But a lot of people push back. Mm. You are open and you've listened. Even though I can tell sometimes I say things you don't want to hear, <laughs> you've still taken action on it. So I can sit there and say whatever I want. You're all the one doing the work and showing up and you know, pushing your edges and challenging yourself to get closer to that emotion that you're you're so fearful of. So, you know, I honour you because you're the one that's gotten yourself to this point and I'm so proud of you to see you doing this. Um, I can't wait to see what you'll achieve over the next couple of years. Aw, thanks, Nezzy. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honour. <laughs>